Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that could help you sleep, focus, act, or be better? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. I know because it's definitely helped me too. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has three-minute SOS meditations for you. Need some help falling asleep? They can help you with wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has stuff that you could do with your kids too. And their approach to mindfulness can help you reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Like I said, I use Headspace as well. I used to use it back in the day, then I got off of it for a while to use another tool. But then, honestly, I came back to it, and it's even better. The voicing, the meditation, it definitely, even just with five minutes a day, it really changes everything for me. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Incredible. So you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash SPI. That's headspace.com slash SPI for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash SPI today. Can you relate to the following? You have an idea for a business, you put in the effort to try and make it work, and then you lose the momentum or you find another idea that might seem a little bit better. And then you focus on that idea. You work on it a little bit, things get a little tough, or you just don't see the results that you want, and then you put it aside and you either go back to that first one, or you try a third idea. And then you try that one, give it a little bit of effort, starts to get a little bit hard, then you think maybe the second idea was actually the better one, but it was actually the first one, and then you go back and forth, and then there's this other new idea that came in. Can you relate to this scenario? I think a lot of us entrepreneurs can absolutely relate to this because it's very difficult to find that niche to get into. And even when we find that niche, how do we know if we've given it enough time to succeed? How do we, how do we know if it's the right one? Now, I've written books about selecting an idea, Will It Fly, which was published in 2016, How to Test Your Next Business Idea So You Don't Waste Your Time and Money, nearly 1,000 reviews on Amazon, which is really cool. Thank you so much for uh, supporting that if you have already. But that's not why I'm here. I'm here because I wanted to showcase a success story from somebody who is a part of the SPI community, who now has passive income, has generated over a million dollars with an online course, but it was not his first idea. Definitely not his first idea. And I wanted to have Jacques Hopkins from Piano in 21 Days come on to share his story about how he found this niche, how he built it out, how he trudged through a lot of the failures that were there at the beginning. And there were a lot of things happening in his life at the same time that made it even more difficult. But what has happened since, how his business has grown, and what he's doing in the online course space, it's working really well. He's actually become known for how he's helping others in the online course space. You could find him at pianoin21days.com on YouTube, the same channel name, and the onlinecourseguy.com. Great guy, this, oh man, this is gonna be awesome. And he has a podcast too, The Online Course Show with over 100 episodes. He's a student of Power Up Podcasting, just incredible success. Cannot wait to share it with you. He's gonna give us all the things, but first, the intro. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he wants Tesla to design an electric DeLorean, Pat Flynn. 
What's up, everybody? Paflin here, and welcome to session 430 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Very thankful you're here today. My name is Pat Flynn, here to help you make more money, save more time, and help more people too. Today, we're talking with Jacques Hopkins from theonlinecourseguy.com and his business, the one that succeeded, Piano in 21 Days. Yes, he made over a million dollars with a piano course. He's gonna give us the rundown, how this started. Did it, was it a million dollars overnight? Well, in most cases, it never happens overnight, and he's gonna tell us exactly how it all happened, how long it took, the steps that he took to hopefully inspire you to find that niche that will work for you too, just like he finally found one that worked for him. So here he is. Let's not wait any further. Jacques Hopkins. Jacques, welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Thanks for being here today. Oh, Pat, what an honor, man. There's there's probably no other resource out there that has a has had such a positive impact on me and my business over the years than this very podcast. So uh, such an honor on my side to be to be on here. Uh, I'm thankful for that. How early on did you start listening? I'm curious. Do you remember? I, I think it was about 2012. I, I read for our work week back in 2008 and I've been working on some sort of online business ever since then. I think I found your podcast. I don't know when you started it, but it was pretty early on, probably 2012. Yeah, okay, awesome. That's really cool. So before you discovered the podcast and then started doing all this amazing stuff online, which we'll get into in a moment, what were you doing beforehand? Oh man, engineering. I All my life, everything pointed to me being an engineer ever since, I think it was first grade, I was maybe a little better at math than than the other kids in class. And so even before I knew what that was, an engineer, my first grade teacher was like, you know, you should be an engineer one day. You should be an engineer. So ever since then, you know, all my life pointed to be being an engineer. So um, I went to college in electrical engineering and up until that point in my life, until my senior year of college, picking up the four hour work week, I thought that to be an entrepreneur that meant that you had to have a brick and mortar presence. You had to have a lot of employees. You had to probably take out a bunch of debt, some venture capital, something like that. It was a lot of things that had had zero appeal to me. But reading that book around 2008, my senior year of college, getting my engineering degree completely changed that paradigm for me as to what being an entrepreneur was like for the first time I realized, you know, look at this guy, Tim Ferriss. He's got an online business. He does a lot of aut- automation and outsourcing to where he's not working crazy hours. He's doing all these cool things all over the world. And so by reading that book, and I don't even know why I would have picked up that book. It just had this t- paradigm shift for me about what it meant to be an entrepreneur. And that was the first time in my life where I I thought I, I could do that. And not only did I think I could do it, but like I thought it was going to be the coolest life ever for me to be able to do that. Now, it took several years of, of failure to find something that actually did work for me. But that's kind of how I got into entrepreneurship myself, get, get into online business. But I did go ahead and become an electrical engineer. I was an electrical engineer for eight years before what I do now allowed me to quit that. Wow. So, okay. So you, you still got inspiration, but yet still continued the path that you were sort of thought to be on. And while you were an engineer, did you attempt to sort of start something on the side? And, you know, you're talking about a little bit about these failures. I'm just curious about when those were and, and what you tried. Yeah. yeah. So the, the paradigm shift for me happened when I already had my engineering job lined up. So it wasn't like I wasn't going to go ahead and do that, go ahead and accept that high paying job uh, or pretty, pretty good paying job as an electrical engineer. So I went ahead and did that all the while trying to start something on the side. Gotcha. And there were six different things that I tried, 
while following, you know, your podcast and other things, trying to do some passive income type things. And I had six different failures, but fortunately I learned something from each one and I never made a dollar from any of those. I tried, you know, creating a physical product I could potentially sell. I tried blogs. Um, I tried several different things and nothing worked until I tried an online course teaching piano, which was about 2013 when I got that idea. So engineer to teaching piano. Yeah, natural progression, right? Nat- totally natural <laughs> progression. I mean, I guess there's math involved in that, uh, in, <laughs> of course, with sound waves and frequencies and stuff. But anyway, um, curious your biggest lessons learned from your failures before we dive into piano and all that great stuff. Well, at this point in my life, I mean, it, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I absolutely love online courses. I think it's one of the best businesses that you can start because you literally just take something that you know you're good at, that you can help other people. It's in your head. You package it up and sell it through the internet as a digital product. So a lot of my failures were things that I tried that I just realized were not for me. So like, mm creating some sort of physical product. There were just way too many headaches with that. Like I had to get something designed and then manufactured and, and prototypes and, and inventory. And there was just a, a lot of pieces and parts and it's not as high as a, a margins as something like a, an online course. With blogging, I learned that I just wasn't good at writing and, and hated writing, to be honest with you. So I got into online courses. I realized that I actually did enjoy video. I enjoyed teaching over video. And I enjoyed putting together step-by-step programs that actually transform people from where, you know, wherever they were entering your course to wherever wherever they were going to be exiting your course. Mm -hmm. And then where does piano fit into this? Well, (laughs) my parents put me in piano lessons when I was five years old. There's a lot of people that took piano lessons when they're a kid. You know, that's just kind of the thing you do. You put your kids in piano lessons, right? (laughs) There you go. Do they like their piano lessons? They didn't at first, but... Focusing on the little incremental improvements every every week is getting them yeah. excited. So yes, they're they're starting to enjoy it now. I am very left brain. Like I, I am very like engineering analytical. And so piano lessons never resonated for me because I had these, you know, concert pianists, these classical trained pianists trying to teach me piano. And I it just did not resonate with me. But at the same time, I was uh, like a kind of a good kid, right? I, I wanted to please my parents. They wanted me in piano lessons, so I stuck with it, even though I very rarely practiced between my piano lessons. But I stuck with it for 12 years just to kind of make my parents happy. And so I took piano lessons from five years old to 17 years old. I look up at 17 years old and I actually go on this retreat with my church uh, up to Toronto, Canada. And we we were staying at this school and there was a, a gym where, where everybody was hanging out one night and there was a piano there and somebody knew that I took piano lessons. So they asked me to play a song. And so I got up, uh, sat down and played a song that I knew it was a, it was a classical piece written hundreds of years ago and everybody, you know, nobody was very impressed, right? Cause we're 17, like nobody's super impressed by Mozart when you're 17 years old. <laughs> and somebody was like, when I finished, they were like, uh, do you know anything else? So I played another song that was written like 300 years ago and they were like, do you know anything else? And I realized for the first time, I was like, wow, I literally only know these two songs on the piano at this point in my life. And I don't even like these two songs. And so it was at that point, that realization that I had taken 12 years, wasted all this time for very little to show for it. But at that point, I didn't quit piano. 
I quit the piano lessons and I use kind of my engineering brain and I decide, okay, this thing cannot be that complicated. There's 88 keys. They're all just sitting, sitting here. I mean, I know you're musical as well, Pat. And so I just kind of reverse engineered the piano and the piano learning process a little bit and figure out a better way to learn and play piano, at least for people that are not naturally gifted in music. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of broke it down and I started playing that way for myself at 17, 18 years old. I wasn't very entrepreneurial at that time. So it took years and years later to realize, huh, I kind of have this different way that I play piano in my spare time. I wonder if other people want to learn this way as well. So it wasn't until, you know, I had six failed ventures uh, that I finally got the idea that worked for me to take this unique way that I play piano and put it out there on the internet and see if, if other people wanted to learn this way as well. And when you say you put it out there on the internet, uh, what platform did you choose and sort of how did you, how did you get started with that? Man, it was a mess. How, how much easier is it to create an online course today than it was back in 2013? Oh, it's, it, I mean, just, <laughs> I mean, all the tools eventually uh, and get you to the point that you need to go. Back then, there was nothing. You'd had to, you had yeah. to code things yourself. It was, it was the worst. Man, it was, it was hard. It was very difficult. Lots of struggles, lots of roadblocks. Um, and I can tell you, I want to tell one story about 2013 and one specific podcast episode that you released in 2013 from a guy who had an online piano course, because that was one of the validating things for me with the idea. I came up with the idea because I was working on probably the sixth business at the time that wasn't really working. And I was working my job as an electrical engineer and I would come home from work and, you know, usually I had pretty stressful days at work. And instead of working on my side businesses, I found myself procrastinating on that by playing my piano. And this was early 2013. One day I'm sitting at my piano playing and I realized like, if this is what I want to come to when I don't really want to do anything else, I wonder if I can make a business out of this somehow. I wonder if I can make a business out of the piano. And I didn't know exactly what that would look like, but I knew I kind of had a unique spin on, on the piano. And so that very night, I kid you not, that very night, I was listening to, I had to look back to see what episode it was, but it was, it was session 52 way back when, when you had Steve Nixon on, Steve, uh, yeah, yeah, Steve Nixon, who, you know, we're good friends today, but that episode and his story on that episode had a big impact. Cause I listened to that episode that very night that I had that realization and listening to that episode was just validation for me that this was possible. Cause I remember hearing his story, you know, he, he, he played piano and he was teaching some piano and then he got the idea for an online piano course and, and went to launch and he sold a hundred copies. And I was just so inspired. I was like, yes, this is it. Like this can work. I'm going to make an online piano course, you know, to, to actually answer your question. Now it wasn't super easy. It took me about eight months, you know, while I was working my job to go from idea to actually launching it because even something as simple as where do I put these videos behind a password protected wall as an online course? I mean, hours and hours of research I had to spend doing that because I wasn't aware of tools like, you know, that we have today, like Teachable and Thinkific and ClickFunnels and all that. A lot yeah. of those didn't even exist at the time. That's crazy. Yeah. And shout out to Steve for sure. Episode 52. And, and, and that's incredible. And it's one thing to create a course. It's another thing to find an audience to sell it to. I'm curious how you were able to go about finding people to sort of get in front of. I, I knew very little about this whole thing. I mean, almost everything I knew about marketing, I really learned from from your podcast and maybe a handful of other 
uh, podcast at the time. But, you know, my background was engineering. I, I didn't know much about this stuff. But I will say that one big misconception I had was that if I built it, it, it would be a success just by me building it. Because, you know, I heard Steve's story and he built it and he launched it, sold a hundred copies. I, I listened to other podcasts and there'd be success stories of these crazy launches. And I, I just assumed that if I, you know, built, built a landing page, had an opt-in, and so on that that I could build something, launch it, and it would be an instant success as well because that's the only stories I would hear, and mm-hmm. um, that's certainly not how it happened for me. I, I I launched, I didn't really make a sale that very first day, but it was it was slow going for me. But eventually, I found my audience and and what to say to my audience through YouTube, and, and YouTube was was big for my early success and is still my number one traffic driver is just my uh, organic traffic coming from YouTube. So YouTube, yes. And and pianoin21days.com is where to go to get more info related to your piano teachings. And I know YouTube's been huge for you too. I've been trying to dive into that a lot lately as well. And I think I randomly stumbled upon you by looking for piano information on YouTube at one point. And you have this really amazing video. I don't know, I, I don't know if it ever was your top, top video, but I, I it must be up there. And it was like how to learn piano in like three minutes or five minutes or something. And yeah, four, four minutes, four yeah. minutes, the one minute that I didn't choose. Um, and, it, and it's just like going to the comments there. There's thousands of people who are like, this actually works. Oh, my gosh. Where did you get the idea for that video? And was it purposeful in creating just sort of traffic to get to the course or just I love your thinking about that because that little videos like that, that pop and like sometimes it's just those single videos alone that could do a lot of work for you. And obviously you've created several more since then that are grabbing more attention. But I I would love to talk about that video and how you put that together because I think that I mean, it just you're giving people quick results so fast and it was so impressive what you were able to do. Thank you. Yeah, I think I'm a big fan of people having YouTube channels if you're, if they're all also going to be selling an online course because the type of person looking for solutions inside of a YouTube video is also going to be a very similar type of person looking for solutions to pay for inside of an online course because it's teaching you something via video, right? Mm-hmm. Both those things have that in common. And so that's one of the reasons that YouTube has been so big for me. But if you are going to start a YouTube channel, whether you're a course creator or not, I'm really big on consistency because you never know which ones are really going to blow up for you and create all that traffic. So yeah, that is a video I made three, four years ago. It's called Learn Piano in Four Minutes, right? You're not actually going to learn everything you could possibly learn about piano in four minutes. It's a little bit of a clickbaity title, but there's really valuable content in there. And I provide most of my very best tips in there and like you said, if you look in the comments, a lot of the comments are like, wow, I thought this was going to be clickbait, but it was actually amazing information. And so, like I said, it, it's a matter of that consistency because I didn't necessarily know that that was going to be the one that really blow, blew up. I think it's got over like 1.3 million views at this point and it's probably the single biggest traffic driver back to my back to my course at this point. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I was just doing some research and and. You know, I popped up that uh, Steve Nixon episode 52. Episode 51 was Tim Ferriss. Oh, wow. Interestingly enough. And, and it's funny because you had mentioned Tim earlier. When it comes to YouTube and online courses, it's interesting because as I've, as I've dug deeper into YouTube, the best practice for YouTube is keep people on YouTube. Keep them watching longer. Keep them watching more videos on YouTube. Like, do not get them off the platform because that, that can hurt your algorithm and all that sort of stuff. Yet, 
you obviously, if you're going to sell an online course, you need to tell people to go somewhere. How are you moving people from YouTube to your online course? Mm, good question. And this is this is one thing that I, I I think I learned very early on from your podcast. I had no idea what like an email list was, a squeeze page, all that until uh, listening to your podcast. So early on, I did set up just a very basic landing page and put together like the first few days of my course, right? My, my course is called Piano in 21 Days, so it's 21 days worth of lessons. But I put together the first few days in just like a little downloadable PDF workbook that people could uh, opt in for. So I put that up on the website in 2013, even before the full course was ready to launch. And, um, and another thing that I, I did a lot wrong at the beginning, but another thing I did right and, and probably listening to, to your podcast was every single YouTube video that I've ever put on my channel, I pitch that workbook at the end of the video. So every video, it's like, hey guys, if you enjoyed this, you wanna learn more, I've got this free workbook waiting for you. You know, Learn the first five days, absolutely free. Just click the link below this video and, uh, and you can get that. So you'll find that call to action at the end of every video. So that's how I'm pretty easily getting the traffic off of YouTube and onto my site. And I mean, I've got, I mean, I don't have a ton of subscribers. I think in seven years, I now have like 60,000 subscribers. So it's mm -hmm. definitely growing, even though the YouTube algorithm, I'm sure, sees that a lot of people leave YouTube and go over to my site. Right, but you also have to think about what your purpose is on YouTube, and you're very good at knowing exactly what you want the customer journey to be versus, mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of people, myself included, are very confused on YouTube in terms of, well, I want my subscriber base to grow and I want people to watch all my videos, but I also want people to come to the website and get my courses too. So it's like it's it's like a different balance. And like you said, people are on YouTube to look for answers. And if you have the best answer in a video and then further information to help them with what they're looking for, I mean, the best customer journey would be to actually take them off of YouTube at that point and bring them into your email list and, and, and what have you. And so your course is Piano in 21 Days. And just give us a sense of like how it's been going and the, the number of customers, whatever you're willing to share to just give us some perspective on what this has now done for you. Because, you know, a high paying engineer job is, is really good. But how does this compare? Today, it's, it's, it's far out exceeded what I was making as an engineer, but it was certainly not an overnight success for me. At this point, I've gotten um, just crossed over 4,000 total students over the years. And at about last year, crossed over the, you know, the, the, the seven figure mark, like the two comma club, right? Mark yeah, congrats, last year. Man. So thank you so much. So it's uh revenue wise, it's brought in about $1.4 million, which is just like still blows my mind to think about, to think about something that I created and put together has, has generated that much in revenue. And of course that's revenue, not profit, but that's how much it's generated over the past seven years. But that very first year was probably like, you know, $100. And then the next year was probably a few hundred dollars. So it's, it's been very much a, an exponential growth over the time. And it allowed me to, it allowed me to quit my job back in my last day of work was December 31st, 2015. And it was, it was an interesting time because at the time I had a six month old, my oldest uh, daughter was six months old. My wife, who she was also an electrical engineer as well. So we did a good job. You know, we both had good incomes. We did a good job of saving and whatnot while we didn't have kids. But the plan was for her to always quit whenever we started having kids, so she could be a stay-at-home mom. And so we're we're going we're going through this. I had started piano in 21 days. 
throughout that year was making about a thousand dollars a month, but we, we both wanted me to be able to quit and just focus on it to make it work. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we paid off our mortgage and we built up some savings and we had a six month old at home. My wife wasn't working anymore, but we decided to just go for it. Piano in 21 days was bringing in about a thousand dollars a month at the time. And we had some savings. So that's, that's when I quit my job going into 2016 because it, it was kind of a catch 22 situation. I felt like I needed that time to be able to focus on it and grow it, but I didn't have, I wasn't making enough to supplement my income. So for, fortunately we had the, the savings to live very, very, very frugally for, the, for an entire year. And I think I learned this from, from Tim Ferriss is he likes to look at things in a very like best case, worst case scenario. And it, it, he probably wrote that in the four hour work week. And the way I was looking at it is, okay, what's, if I do quit my job, what's the worst case scenario? All right. I've got an engineering degree. I've got some good experience. Worst case scenario, I go through this a year, never works, never makes more than the thousand dollars a month. Maybe it goes down and I got to go back to work. I can probably find a job. That's worst case scenario. That's probably like a five or six out of 10, right? Well, what's the best case scenario? Best case scenario works. I'm doing something I absolutely love with my time in my life. I'm impacting other people all over the world. Um, that's like a 10 out of 10. I can spend more time with my family. I can travel, all this. So it was worth for me risking like a five or a six out of 10 in order to possibly get a 10 out of 10. And it almost didn't work though. I mean, it was <laughs> month like eight or nine into 2016. I was still at like that $1,000 a month mark. It, it hadn't quite worked yet. And I remember, I remember like it was yesterday, my, my daughter, she was probably one and a half at the time. She comes to me, we're sitting in the living room. She comes to, to me with a book and she probably wasn't speaking all that much at that point, but it was very clear that she wanted me to read this book. And she sits in my lap, we start reading it and it was called Little Miss Big Sis. And so we, we read like two pages in, so the book's all about being a big sister. And I look at my wife, like starting to tear in my eye and I'm like, are you seriously pregnant? And this is how you're telling me. So we were officially pregnant with our second kid. And it was a big surprise because we struggled for a while to get pregnant the first time and very much didn't struggle the second time. And so there was a lot of pressure on me at that point and actually started looking for jobs again. But mm. fortunately there toward the end of 2016 is when things started working. And there's some, um, some things I was able to implement in the business. Finally, it's amazing how timing works out. And so by the end of 2016, going into 2017, revenue for Piano in 21 Days in January of 2017 was $22,000. And since then, it hasn't brought in below $20,000 in revenue. So that, that was the point where it officially started working for me. What happened? How did it, <laughs> you know, how did, what, what, what in the business was the turning point for you? The, the biggest thing, the biggest turning point was implementing an evergreen funnel. And to be honest with you, the, the core of what I learned about that was from another episode of, of Smart Passive Income. And that's, that's one of the reasons I, I told you at the beginning how big of an impact this podcast has had on, on me too. and my business. You had on David Simon Garland, and I know you, you probably had him on several times, uh, so I don't remember exactly which one it was, but it was one where he was sharing his exact evergreen webinar formula. And it was, it was very much like the three-part video series pre-launch going mm -hmm. into an open card and a closed card. And he shared in that episode, like exactly how he laid his out and how other people could too. And I know 
you know, you guys were, were pitching a webinar at the end and then, you know, his course and all that. I never, I never even bought his course. I, I think I'll probably watch the webinar, but I was able to implement, you know, a big shout out to David Simon Garland. I, I don't know him personally, but you and he helped me tremendously with that one episode because I went to work and for the first time implemented an evergreen funnel into my business. And like literally that took the business like 10 X the business, like same course, similar offer. It's just now I had a really nice evergreen funnel and that took me from like a thousand dollars a month to $10,000. It was amazing. That's crazy, dude. That's so cool. Thank you for for all the love for the podcast too. And definitely a big shout out to David Seitman Garland. We'll link to all the, the stuff in the show notes for sure. And now you're sort of all in on online courses so much that you now help others with it too because it's just made that much of a big impact. And you have a website, theonlinecourseguy.com, which also has a podcast that's now something that you're getting involved with. So I'm curious, before we start to get into a few tips for online courses, like what's it been like for you to transition from or add on, excuse me, a podcast? And how is it different than sort of the YouTube stuff that you've been doing? Yeah, totally. So it started working for me in 2017. Um, and, and I, I just remember, you know, going to my wife, like, babe, this, this is working. This is finally working, you know, four, four years of struggle. It's working. But I also found myself working like a crazy person again, because with all that success and core sales and all that, there was added customer support and, um, you know, more demand for content and video production and all this and that. And so I was just, I was killing myself. So that's when I finally started to automate and outsource. And, and fortunately I stumbled upon some excellent, excellent people that still work for me to this day, including, you know, that that's when I hired my executive assistant. And I, I really appreciated listening to the episode recently with you and, uh, and Jess, your executive assistant. Yeah. That was a very, very insightful um, and, and definitely gave me some pointers for, for how I work and interact with my executive oh, assistant. How so did you I find started, yours, by the way, before we go on? Man, I, I got so lucky. I, I put a post on Upwork and I got a lot of, I got a lot of stinkers, a lot, lot of uh, poor applications. And I was ready to close the, um, I was ready to close it down. And at the last minute, I got this just glowing application. It was like, wow, this could be an amazing nice. fit. And we did a little trial period and she just knocked it out of the park. And she has been knocking out of the park ever since. I cannot imagine my business without her today. Her name is Emily and she's she's been working with me for three years now and she's just unbelievable. That's awesome. Um, so I started outsourcing, doing a lot more automation back then. And you know, by the end of 2017, we're making good money with Piano in 21 Days. I've automated and outsourced to a point where, you know, I was working probably 60, 80 hours a week on it down to like six or eight hours a week on it. So it was an incredible position I was in for the, for the first time in my life, really. I'm like, okay, now what do I want to do with my life? You know, I've got things where I want them. And I found that I just had this newfound passion for online courses. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do that. I, I just felt like I was even more passionate about online courses than even piano. And, and it's probably because I struggled for so long mm -hmm. with my online course. And I felt like I had something to share because I had an online course that that was being successful um, in a non-money making niche, right? I'm just teaching people how to play piano and I was able to make that successful. And so I started a podcast and I just, I was like, you know, this is the podcast that I wish would have existed other than Smart Passive Income, of course. Um, and, and I wanted to make it focus solely on online courses. And I wanted to interview other course creators. And that, and that was it. Like, that would be my niche. So I signed up for Power Up Podcasting because obviously you had bit, built up a, a lot of trust with me, even though we didn't really know each other. And, uh, and that's how I started my podcast back in, 
I guess it was late 2017. And, uh, and so I've been doing the online course show ever since just interviewing other course creators, trying to provide, uh, motivation and ideas and tips out there and over a hundred episodes into that now. And I'm just having so much fun running, uh, both sides of my business now. That's really cool. And I love that you're now running kind of two, but you had to sort of remove yourself in a way from the first one, which is always the best. Like a lot of people want to go into two or three at, at the same time, and you've done it the right way, in my opinion, of of getting one done. Yes, very manual, very much, you know, a lot of work. And, and then you hired, you've, you've taken yourself out of that process, and now you're devoting even more energy and more excitement into this new realm with something that you've just now experienced and, and can offer help with, which I think is, is fantastic. Thanks for the shout out for Power Up Podcasting, by the way. And uh, 100 episodes in, that's really fantastic. What's been the best thing that's happened since starting your show? Oh, man, it's just the, it's just the connections. I mean, you, you know this, like, people will respond to you much better if if you have an outlet like that. It's like, I'm not just reaching out to you because I'm Jacques and I created Piano in 21 Days. I'm reaching out to you because I respect you. I have this podcast called The Online Course Show, and I really want my listeners to hear your story. And um, you know, most of the time when I, when I send out pitches for people to come on my show, they, they're thrilled to do it. And unfortunately, you know, I've been able to grow it to where it's a, a decent size and, and to where people know when they come on, they're going to get some exposure. But just being able to, you know, talk to people that I would have been so scared to reach out to before. I mean, uh, I remember just very, very early on, somebody told me that I should reach out to the creator of uh, Deadline Funnel. I don't, do you use Deadline Funnel? Yeah, it, I do. It, Deadline Funnel, a great tool for Evergreen. It's a great tool for Evergreen. I've been using it for years. And the creator, Jack Bourne, like, I remember somebody reached out to me really early on. He was like, you should have Jack Bourne on the show. And that, that scared me. I'm like, Jack Bourne? Are you serious? Like, no, I'm not going to reach out to Jack Bourne. <laughs> um, but fortunately, you know, several episodes behind me and starting to build up some clout there and some brand recognition, I finally was able to reach out to Jack Bourne. And he was on, I think, episode 96. Um, and it was a fantastic conversation. It was one of my favorite episodes. And now, you know, Jack Bourne and I have a phenomenal relationship. Uh, he's such a good guy. And, and, you know, Deadline Funnel actually sponsors my, uh, my podcast. No now. way. So, that's awesome, yeah, man. Yeah. So cool. That's really incredible. Yeah. The relationship part is my favorite part too. Not just the relationship with the guest, but the relationship with your audience is, 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 mm -hmm. is completely different. I mean, you know, this re retention time on YouTube versus retention time on podcasts is just uh, unmatched. Uns it's insane. Yes. Incredibly unmatched. But then there's also the ability to continue those uh, relationships and like you and Jack turn them into partnerships. I'm, uh, I, I know Jackie and I have uh, swapped emails before. He's great. His tool's fantastic. Deadline funnel. And I'm sure you're an affiliate for these companies now and you're making money through that way whilst providing information, whilst building these relationships. Like it's, it's an amazing win. And I think that's, that's huge. In your experience as a course creator, plus all the course creators that you've interviewed, what are the things that are working right now for online course creators? Audience first. I mean, you know this, you, you had an audience well before you launched your online course. The, mm -hmm. the biggest mistake I say, I see people do when they want to get into online courses, I get a lot of beginners coming to me. Hey, Jacques, I'm inspired by your story. I want to start an online course. Uh, the biggest mistake I see is they start right from the course creation process. And I'm like, guys, you have got to build an audience first. Don't do what I did and launch to crickets. Like that's the last thing you want to do because you put in all this hard work, you put it out there. And then if you don't make any sales, like it's so demoralizing, it feels like such wasted work. 
Plus, you don't really know what direction you should truly go with an online course. So really, genuinely, authentically work on building that online, uh, that, that audience first. I think starting a YouTube channel would be a great place to start for course creators in general, but it doesn't have to be a YouTube channel. It could be a podcast. I know you're a big fan of podcasts. Mm-hmm. It can be a blog. It can be, I've even had people uh, that, I've, that I've seen, there's, there's one person I coached who is a, an artist who his entire following is on Instagram and he's got over a hundred thousand Instagram followers and he puts out paintings every day on Instagram and he launched his course just with Instagram. But what he did right was he built his audience first on Instagram, posted consistent content, and then later down the road released a course and has been very, very successful with it. So building that audience first and putting out that authentic, free, you know, really high quality content uh, consistently is, is I think the, the very best place to start. Follow up question. How big does the audience need to be in your eyes before we launch a course? Well, it, de- it depends on you and your niche. I mean, everybody's conversion rates are going to be different. I, I know people that, um, you know, one of my good friends now, Abby Ashley, she teaches people to be virtual assistants and her con- I'm always blown away by her conversion rates because her list is smaller than mine, but she sells way more than I do. Um, so her list didn't need to be very big to have success. Mine needed to be a little bigger. But when I first launched, uh, my list was probably like 200 people and I did make a sale, you know? And then the more my list grew, the more sales I was making. So as long as you, you're starting to build that audience, you're starting to get feedback from your audience, um, that's, that's one of the keys about building audiences. You've got to continually monitor what they are most struggling with so that you can provide those solutions via courses um, or maybe other content to them. So once you start getting feedback, whether negative or positive, just as long as you're getting that feedback, I think that's when you know you're, you have an audience big enough to start you know, pitching courses to. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've been pretty bullish on courses lately. I finally started creating my own courses just a few years back. I know I should have done it sooner. And I'm so thankful for all the students because a lot of them, in addition to, you know, investing in the course and in themselves, they come back and they go, okay, I finished this. I'm here. Like, what do I do next? Like, tell me what I can buy next. And it's like the most incredible thing to me. They're almost automatic because when you give them those kinds of results um, and and they see that, they want to go further with you. And this is why one of my courses, Power Up Podcasting, led into the creation of a essentially a 201 course called Amped Up Podcasting, which has been doing very well, too. And even some of those graduates are asking me okay like is there a third one i can take now it's kind of kind of incredible what your you know your best customers are are your existing customers and and so like you don't have to guess anymore and when it comes to not guessing anymore it's easier obviously when you have customers because you can reach out to them you've given them success and 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 you can ask back okay what do you need next but how might you recommend when a person builds that audience do they remove the guesswork as much as possible in terms of what to create? Um, do you have a special process for uh, validating courses or customer research? Well, it's just a matter of asking, right? I mean, I know you're familiar with uh, like Ryan Levesque, Ask Method. And for sure, it, yeah. It, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I've done, right? So um, even after maybe the second version of, well, after the very first version, you know, maybe 10 people bought it and I made sure to ask every one of them like, hey, can you provide me any feedback? And, and maybe only two of them responded, but you're darn right that I applied all of that feedback to version two. And, and version two was better than version one, but it wasn't near as good as version three because I got even more feedback and more feedback. 
And, um, and it was probably after version three or so that I actually implemented the, the actual strategies from, from Ryan Levesque. And, and he's got just phenomenal survey questions there. And totally. one, one thing that came out of that is I noticed that you know, I pulled my existing students and the people on my list that hadn't bought. Well, one interesting thing that kept coming back from my existing students over and over again is even though they had been through my course and they, they were doing pretty well, they were struggling with this concept of hand coordination. And they were just struggling with doing something different in their left and their right hand. I was like, huh, that's a good point. Like I do address it a little bit in 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 the course. I don't know how I would address it even further. But without asking, I didn't know that that was such a big struggle for my students. So I was able to then go out and find another piano teacher who was very, very good at helping uh, people with hand coordination, collaborate with him. And now that is a bonus inside of my offer. Mm. Yeah, which which people um, love. They love the hand coordination course. Um, that's a that's a, a big value add to the course. Now, I'm curious, Pat, like, were you resistant to putting courses out there for a while? I was uh, for the reason that I didn't feel I was qualified or that my course was just sort of a copy of somebody else's. And, um, you know, I was doing so well with affiliate marketing, too. I was, you yeah. know, everything was it, like I, did, I felt like if I launched a course, it would be like, well, I'm just trying to squeeze as much money from my audience as possible. But it, I do got to give, give a big shout out to Derek Halpern, who was the one who came to me one day and he said, Pat, what are you doing? You're letting your audience down. And I said, right. what are you talking about? He said, well, they want to hear and learn from you and you keep handing them off to these other people who, yeah, they're great, <laughs> but they want to learn from you. And I knew he was right. I was just, you know, making up a lot of excuses and, and, and using my success from affiliate marketing to go, well, I don't need to create an online course when really I wasn't serving my audience in the best way that I, that I could. Yeah, I feel I feel like online courses are such a great way to serve your audience and, you know, even higher price points. I, I've experimented with price points of, of my online piano course and my most popular package that I sell today is four hundred ninety seven dollars. I don't know of another piano course out there that is that much or even close to that much. And I just get a higher quality student. I get a higher completion rate, um, a higher happiness rate overall. And so I think there's so much to be shared. There's so much value there, especially at, at higher price uh, products. Mm -hmm. And um, going back to what you were asking earlier about, you know, wh when's the right time and, and what do you need to, what kind of audience you, should you have, what should you be listening from, from your audience? You know, I have a good friend, uh, Dr. Ryan Gray, who has a massive audience. He teaches people to uh, like medical school students or to get into medical school, right? Student college students to get into medical school um, with their applications and whatnot. Well, he doesn't have a course. He's got podcasts. He's even written some books. Um, but most of what he offers out there is free. He's got a few like coaching products. He's relying a lot on affiliate income. I'm like, I'm like Ryan, you're you're missing serving your audience in a whole new and possibly even better way by not offering a, a, a course to them. So mm -hmm. I, I think a course just has something in and of itself. And obviously you agree with how hard you've been hitting courses lately that can just really serve people on a whole nother level. Ryan's great. I uh, see him at all the podcasting events and yeah. you know, his podcast led to him you know, quitting his job and helping other people get into medical, medical school, like you said, which is, which is cool. I, I'm surprised he, he didn't have a course before but it was funny that he, like his reservations were the same as mine. On your price point, 497, I'd love for you to answer this. How can you justify, not that I don't agree with the course, I'm just, I'm just setting up the question here. Uh, how can you justify 497 for a piano course when there's a lot of others that are even under 100 bucks? 
Oh yeah, most piano courses are probably under $100. In fact, most courses where you're not not directly pe- teaching people to make money are more on the lower, lower end, right? Yeah. If you're teaching people to make money or to start a business, start an online business, typically you can charge higher prices because you can convey the direct ROI on uh, on that. Right. One, What's one the of my, ROI of piano? Like unless you're yeah. teaching them like, you know, how to be a entertainer and make money off of that, right? No, I'm not. Like the main people, my main demographic and I didn't really really this when I started, but 80% of my students are above 50 years old. My main customer is somebody that has always wanted to learn piano. They are nearing retirement or maybe freshly retired, have some additional time on their hand. They've got a little extra money as well. And it's just something they've always wanted to do, but was always just so intimidated by how long it would take and how complicated it would be. So that's why they're drawn to my product. I think that having a very compelling offer, um, having a very good funnel, having great messaging. You know, I've, I've, I've been through StoryBrand by Donald Miller. There's yeah. a lot of my messaging like that. A lot of that is is how I'm able to charge such a high price point. But then once they get in, obviously, I've got a 30-day refund policy. So if they got in just because of my marketing and my pitch, well, once they get in, they could always request the refund. So then you actually have to have um, am- amazing course and also a lot of success stories too, right? And I know this works because I get very positive feedback. I've got tons of video testimonials on my site. I think that's very important that people can go see my students like actually playing the piano on my site. And so I'm able to uh, I'm able to charge a higher price for all those reasons. People can really see the value there. And on my side, I, like I said earlier, I just I get a higher quality student. I get a more motivated student. They've got more skin in the game. Right. If you charge, if I were charging twenty dollars for the same course, it would be so much easier to just set it aside and say, oh, "I'll get it to it one day." I only paid twenty dollars for it, but because they paid four hundred ninety-seven dollars for a piano course, most people, you're darn right, are actually going to go through it. Yeah, and and you know, you don't get the people who come in who sort of expect magic to happen. They know it's going to be. It's almost there's higher perceived value, right? That's like. Oh, this is like a university level sort of, uh, you know, education that I'm getting here versus just some, you know, scrappy book that I found at the library or something like that. You had mentioned Donald Miller. He's been on the show before. One of the fan favorites uh, in, in the last hundred episodes for sure. How are you in your sales copy and your messaging for this avatar that I think is fantastic? And I think, you know, that's that's obvious, obviously something that's really important. Like, who is it that you're serving? How are you positioning your messaging so that they look like a hero? So that this is like, like, what do you, how are you, how are you selling this to, to that audience? What's the messaging? How, how do you use story brand around that? Yeah, one of the biggest things I changed after reading that book is I like to, uh, I really like to use this line in particular. In fact, you'll find it at the bottom of every page of my site and throughout my, my evergreen webinar as well. I say this, you have the ability to play piano inside of you. I'm just the guy that's going to help you reach down and unlock it. And oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah, that's and I that never came to me until after I read Story Brands. Like you're right. Like I'm not the guy that's super special here. Like I need to empower other people to really believe that they're the hero in the story and that they have this inside of them. I'm just somebody that's been there and I know how to reach uh reach down and unlock what they already have inside of them. And I think that really resonates with people. I mean, I just literally got goosebumps when you said that. I love that. That's very I mean, you're the Yoda. You know, you're making some Luke Skywalkers that can play the piano at the Star Wars bar, apparently. This is cool, man, dude. Online courses are, I mean, I'm, I'm on all, all in on it. You are too. For people who want to learn more about that from you, where should they go? 
Oh, just the online course show. That's that's my biggest platform as far as, far as uh, sharing this message that I love. The online course show, you can find it on all the platforms or uh, it's obviously on my site as well using the wonderful, um, well, I guess you recently changed the name of it, the Fusebox plugin. Yeah. Uh, the online course guy.com slash podcast will be where you can find the episodes there with your awesome plugin as well. Thanks, man. Dude, I appreciate you. And then the piano uh, recommendation one more time in case, you know, now people are inspired to learn from you. Yeah, excellent. It's piano in 21 days.com. There's tons of testimonials on there. And then there's a, there's a, a free resource. Um, the same, the same free resource that's been up there since, since 2013, since Pat inspired me through the podcast to put up a lead magnet. I didn't know what that was before, but it's called, uh, learn 36 popular songs in five days. It's essentially the first five days of my course in a workbook, completely free, uh, been downloaded over a hundred thousand times, which just boggles my mind, that's but awesome. that's, uh, that's the free opt in there at, uh, piano in 21 days.com. So if anybody is interested, then, uh, check out the free resource that might be good enough for you alone to learn piano without, you know, buying the $500 program. Dude, love it. And at least go there to see how Jacques does the thing to help people get inspired to take action with him. Check out his YouTube channel as well. And then also, of course, the online course show wherever you are listening to podcasts. Jacques, thanks so much for coming on, telling us some great advice and telling some great stories too. I appreciate you and keep up the great work, man. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pat. It's been uh, truly an honor. All right, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Jacques Hopkins. You can check him out on his podcast really easily from where you're at right now, The Online Course Show. Go ahead and check that out. You can, of course, find him at theonlinecourseguy.com and also Piano in 21 Days. Check out the show notes too because he also gave me an affiliate link for Piano in 21 Days if you wanna check that out and, and perhaps try that. Uh, I get a little kickback for that in case you wanna you know, tickle the ivories a little bit and impress your friends. Just head on over to smartpassiveincome.com slash session 430 and you'll see all the links mentioned in this episode including that affiliate link for Piano in 21 Days as well. Um, and I just wanna thank you so much for sticking all the way through. We have a lot of great content coming your way. Make sure, number one, you hit subscribe. Number two, if you have a chance, leave a review for the podcast. I see them all. Thank you so much in advance for that. And number three, I mean, at the time I'm recording this, we're all still in lockdown. I don't know by the time you listen to this, you are locked down in quarantine as well. Perhaps if it's much in the future, hopefully we're at a point where one day we could shake our hands again and 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 give each other hugs and stuff. But uh, until then, if you are still locked in for whatever reason, stay safe, stay hunkered down, I appreciate you so much. Uh, all your support means the world to me. And uh, hopefully see you on the, on, the, on the live show, the income stream on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Pat Flynn. And just keep chipping away one step at a time. You got this. Take care. And as always, Team Flynn for the win. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point. So I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray. And in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. 
It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure and it always finds a bright side. I really love it and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.